This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're going to talk about data privacy and the U.S. workplace. Employers and employees, and uh, what employees uh, can do uh, with their personal information at work, and what they do with it, and what they expect is going to happen, and what employers can do uh, as to personal information of their employees at work for the employer. Now, this is a really complicated subject, but we're going to boil it down to about 15 minutes. So hang on, put your seatbelts on, and here we go. And we have two great guests today. We have Annie Dupree, who is a partner in the Labor and Employment Group of a coast-to-coast law firm, Frost Brown Todd, in the Columbus, Ohio office. Annie, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks, Joe. And we have Seth Granda. And Seth, you're an, a senior associate in the Labor and Employment Group of Frost Brown Todd in the Nashville, Tennessee office. So thank you for joining us today. Great to be with you, Joe. Thank you so much. Well, here's my first question. And uh, Seth, we're going to start with you. What is a reasonable expectation of privacy for an employee in the workplace? Well, Joe, it might come as a bit of a surprise to our listeners, but there's really not much in the way of federal legislation that defines a private employee's uh, right to privacy in the United States. I think it might be illustrative for us here uh, to talk about the key laws at play. Really, the primary federal legislation is the Electronic Communications Privacy Act of 1986. And yes, you heard me right, 1986. That's a long Um, time ago. A lot of things have changed, but what does it say? You're, you're right. A lot of has changed, uh, Joe. And in fact, you know, the vast majority of technology that we use today didn't exist at that time. That's one of the big complaints about privacy laws in the United States today is that um, it hasn't kept up. The law has not kept up with the vast um, improvements and changes in technology that we've had in the last 30 years. Well, it more sounds like it needs years. an update, but then we do have these 50 states. So uh, go ahead. That's right. So with respect to the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, it's really a three-pronged act. Title I is the Wiretap Act. Title II is the Stored Communications Act. And Title III is the Pin Register or Trap and Trace Devices Act. That's mostly reserved to organizations involved in espionage. So there's really not uh, a lot in Title III that's going to be relevant for our typical employers here. But beyond the fact that it's a little outdated, we should just talk a little bit about each of those prongs. The Federal Wiretap Act for instance, sets forth standards and procedures for the use of electronic surveillance, and it criminalizes and creates civil liability for intentionally intercepting oral wire or electronic communications without a judicial warrant. Does that include employers then? (laughs) It does. And in a moment, I'll talk to you about how employers can be eligible for certain exceptions to the Federal Wiretap Act. But then there's also the Stored Communications Act, that second prong that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And primarily that sets forth the procedures by which U.S. law enforcement authorities can compel electronic communication service providers. You think about internet service, email, phone providers mainly to disclose contents of or other records pertaining to user accounts. So while the FCA is where a prosecutor might come to an employer and say, give me everything you have on employee X. Correct. And it can also arise in the context of civil litigation in certain circumstances. Now, while the SCA is most often associated with internet, email, and phone providers, it can also apply to social media accounts, cloud storage, web hosting, and other types of accounts. But in a nutshell, the SCA provides those providers of electronic communication services or remote computing uh, services from disclosing the contents of the information stored on their systems, except within certain limited circumstances. 
And it also prohibits unauthorized access to an electronic communication service. So, but again, as we talked about a moment ago, there are certain exceptions to the ECPA that employers can avail themselves of. And uh, let's talk about those for a moment. Uh, First, there's the ordinary course of business exception. Um, That's typically going to permit employers to monitor employee telephone conversations, for instance, if there's a nexus to the business. And so that's going to permit interception of communications if they're undertaken by employers in the ordinary course of business and it's occurring using equipment provided by a communications carrier as part of the communications network. So that's the first exception, and I can talk about that, that more if you'd like. That should be a pretty like. broad one, shouldn't it? Uh, you know, if you're if, if an employee is literally at work using company equipment, it sounds like well, that's what this is catching. That's right. Ultimately, it provides a, that a business-related communication can be monitored without employee consent in the ordinary course of business mm-hmm. if the employee has notice. But but notice is is important, and so we recommend to all of our clients here at FBT that you know they certainly, as a matter of best practice let the employees know in advance that their their communications can be monitored. Yeah, now, when so it's a personal put it in communication. A handbook and uh, have a, a policy that's transparent so employees know what uh, a reasonable expectation is. That's right. Now, but once the employer realizes that a conversation that the employee may be having, even if it's on a work phone, is personal in nature, then the, employee at the employer at that point needs to stop the monitoring. Um, and the employer can't really discipline the employee for personal communications unless that personal communication violates company policy in some way. Um, so that's the first exception, the ordinary course of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, second is the normal course of employment exception. That typically arises if you, for instance, have an IT person that's doing work and they stumble onto some form of employee transmission that might otherwise be protected by the CPA. The third exception is the prior consent exception. And this this operates kind of in tandem with the first, but this exception provides that if one party to a communication consents to monitoring, then the monitoring will be held not well, to violate the Federal Wiretap Act, and then it's reasonable. It's okay, yeah, okay. I right, it. right. Um, so so those are kind of the federal aspects to, to privacy law that we think of, but then there are also the state law components. And really outside of the ECPA, when we think about state laws that might apply to private employment, we're going to be thinking about the state constitution, state statutes, and or the common law. Of course, uh, there are too many states for us to get into just yeah. in, in today's podcast, but I'll, I'll give you some ideas of, of some state privacy laws that may come into play. For instance, in Connecticut and Delaware, employers are required to provide notice to employees before engaging in workplace monitoring. Okay. In California and Texas, employers are prohibited from installing GPS devices on their employee-owned vehicles without consent. In Even if Calif- it's employee-owned, that's interesting. I right. mean, if, 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 how about if it's employer-owned, excuse me? If it's employer-owned, then the employer is going to have some more flexibility. They're going to be able to to monitor that vehicle with, with more um Okay, but if leeway. I'm an employee and I'm driving my own car in those states, on even on company business, then, then no, no monitoring of GPS. Right. Okay. Right, without consent, correct. And then in California, you have the California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018, that was enacted as a comprehensive data privacy protection statute. Uh, and then, of course, in New York, you have um, their, their state law that imposes cybersecurity requirements on companies that collect or maintain private information of New York residents. So well, we um, can spend a lot more time. But what you're telling us is there is no one definition of a reasonable expectation of privacy. You've got to be state by state. You've got to be a little careful and really become aware of what the laws have been so far. 
That's right. And it really imposes a, a heightened duty on employers creating their information yeah. use policies okay. to be specific in defining the reasonable expectation of privacy so that employees cannot be said to be unaware of what their expectation of put privacy it in is. writing and have training and so on. Well, Annie, let's turn to attorney. Thank you, Seth, for that. A Annie, let's turn to you. And this gets right into are there limits to what an employer can do in monitoring what an employee does with company uh, devices and, uh, you know, on work time? Absolutely, Joe. Um, you know, when we when we think about employee, what employers can and can't do when it comes to limiting and what they monitor, the first thing you want to look at is the state law. Well, federal law, state law. But then what does your handbook say? What kind of policies do you have? And you alluded to this earlier that is there a policy or a handbook in place that talks about a reasonable expectation of privacy? Mm -hmm. um, you know, employers want to make sure that they are giving employees notice. And most handbooks have something that says there is no reasonable expectation of privacy in anything that you do on the company's server, on the company computer, on the company's email system, on the company's chat system. That's usually in a handbook. It's also um, commonly found in like an electronic use policy. So when you give an employee a cell phone, uh, company cell phone, they probably have to sign off on something that also says there's no reasonable expectation of privacy in this. So really, employers are limited by the by the laws and by the policies that they put in place with their employees. Word of of caution for employers: if you aren't sure if you should be monitoring it, call your lawyer. If you're not sure if your employees uh, know that you're monitoring them. Provide them with notice. A written acknowledgement can go a long way to show that you were you were working on your best practices to make sure that employees had notice. Let me give you one I've read about, and, and tell, me, tell me if you can explain this to our listeners. The, of course, in the United States, uh, it's it's the right of people to uh, get together and decide whether or not to have a union. And mm -hmm. so we have uh, you know federal laws about this. And what about because what what happens to employees that are at work and they're want to talk about a union and, and, you know, is there a federal interest at stake here? And does that affect what an employer can do to monitor things? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because last fall, the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, also known as the NLRB, issued a memo that specifically targeted this concern about employee privacy. In particular, they're looking, you know, the National Labor Relations Board General Counsel is looking at that constant surveillance and management of employees through electronic means. So it is, it is certainly on their radar that they're concerned about what employers can see that employers, that employees are doing that may violate an employee's protected concerted rights. And what an employee's protected concerted rights are is a whole other podcast. But in general, no employers should be aware that how they're monitoring their employees is on the National Relations Board's radar. And that applies whether whether you are, have a union workforce or a non-union workforce. Yeah. And the, you know, the extent of monitoring is so different in Europe, for example, under the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation in the European Union and beyond, where even if an employee is sitting there at work, not promoting at work and using a company computer, if they're watching pornography, which they're not supposed to do by company policy, the employee, the employer really can't monitor and, and terminate them, uh, even if it's because that's considered a violation of the employee's privacy. And what you're both telling me so far is 
very different in the United States. It's, it's, it's a blend of some federal and state laws and concerns about things like the right to uh, organize through a union, if that's what the employers vote to do or not. And, and so it's really something that's not so uh, black or white, is it? It's not. But fortunately, here in the U.S., if you do have employees that are watching pornography on their on their work computer during work hours, you can do something about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that that seems pretty pretty clear. Anything you'd add on that point, Seth? Yeah. On this monitoring question, um, just anecdotally, and this this is more um, on the point of this idea of consent to to being recorded. This it, it comes from a. a prior matter where I was involved and asked to look into an issue where one employee had uh, been alleged to have engaged in some workplace recording, surreptitiously turned on the phone as a recording device and left it in a busy part of the office Mm -hmm. where the idea would be to catch some illicit conversations of other employees and get up get dirt on them so to speak and in many states in the united states you you are a one party consent state others are two party consent states and what that means is at, in a one party consent state which is most common you have to have at least one party to the conversation who so has consented to the recording conversation with me even if i don't know you're doing it in a one party state i could be doing it right now if i wanted to joe yeah. uh, but don't worry i'm not <laughs> Uh, we're being recorded with notice, as is uh, preferable here. Um, but in any event, this particular employee raised a, a, a bit of a novel question, which was along the lines of espionage. She did not participate in this conversation and left the device there in a way that we we think of the government, uh, you know, doing its its Not listening like in tap. on phone yeah, calls, right. a wiretap. Yeah. Right. And and typically the Wiretap Act, people complain that that name is is too strong for situations where where you're just recording a conversation with someone else that that maybe isn't fitting. But here she really was wiretapping other employees. So and what happened? Uh, we had to yeah. we, we had to advise the employer that we believe that to be a, a violation of federal law and and state law as well. And um, and so, yeah, it was a bit of a, a unique situation and um, one that people need to to remember. One party consent means one party to the conversation. If you're not a party to that conversation, that's not going to satisfy the one party consent. Rule. Yeah, that, that's a good story. Uh, you have to get into the details. It's not just black or white. Well, Annie, let me go back to you on this. Now, what limits are there to what an employee can do? Uh, with company-provided devices like a a smartphone or a a PC? In general, you know, employees should be using their company-provided laptop and phone for business purposes and business purposes only. But you and I both know that that's not always the case, right? Um, You know, people take personal calls at work. They might get a personal email at work. They may look up their kid's soccer schedule on, you know, the, the company internet. They, they do all kinds of things. I mean, people go shopping. You'd be surprised what <laughs> what folks do and what we've seen on company uh, on company computers. Um, but there are limits, and and you know, without getting into all the details of the law in general, employees should know that anything that they're doing on their company provided electronics can probably be monitored by the company to an extent, and and we can get into kind of where that line crosses. Now, if an employee logs onto their bank account on their company-provided computer, 
an employer shouldn't then be looking in on the company on the employee's bank account information. Same thing goes if they log into their personal Gmail account and they're emailing their lawyer on their personal Gmail account, but on the company server. If employers are, you know, looking at that sort of thing, that's when we start walking a, a pretty fine line on what employers should be doing. In general, though, employees should know their personal emails that are in an employer's on employer's email system. Those are probably fair game for an employer to look at. So think before you email. Um, think before you text on your employee on your employee phone, uh, or sorry, employer provided phone, because um, those sorts of things are, are are fair game for a in general for the employer to be monitoring. And probably the same if you're using a company provided email address, even if you're using your own phone. Yep, sure are. Well, let me turn to you, uh, Seth, on on this next one. What about when an employee leaves the company or is no longer a, an employee of the company? What issues does that raise? Well, Joe, it's a, a very common problem, especially in the um, advent of the great resignation that we've experienced and uh, labor and employment lawyers are no uh, strangers to. It is you know, common that employees do leave their employers and they do have access to certain information. The, the really important thing for companies is to recognize on the front end that this can occur. And so they should have policies in place that define what kinds of information employees are permitted to access and what they're not. One piece of federal legislation that often comes into play, especially in our technological age in, in which we find ourselves is employee access to computers and employee access to files that exist on the computer servers. And under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, generally speaking, if an employee has access to that information, then they cannot really be treated, prosecuted under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act if they're alleged to have done something improper. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other remedies, uh, for instance, in the form of trade secret laws, uh, the Defend Trade Secrets Act or the Uniform Trade Secrets Act that also is often ma made law at the state level or pursuing um, lawsuits for other forms of of relief, of a breach of contract. There is a RICO, of course, that also comes into play sometimes if if there's some conspiracy by employees to leave the company and, and take company information with them. But it, it can seriously damage uh, the business if its information is being taken, deleted, modified in, in some way without the employer's uh, knowledge. So right. Would I we, be right, though, Seth, that an employer do have, does have a right to see if a employee that is departing or has departed has taken trade secrets. Yes, absolutely. And at the time of departure, that employer certainly has the right to search the employee's devices yeah. um, that, that were used during the work time period. And if there's good cause for doing so in the in the course of litigation, it can right. seek to do a forensic analysis of that employee's personal devices even. If they were used for or if the employer's been down, if the uh, computer's been downloaded, and if something's been taken, that's right. You you can right. sometimes do that through a request uh, for information, or or you can subpoena if it's in the possession of a third party. But um, yes, Joe, to answer your question, you you yeah. as an employer do have the right to go and look at those things after after the termination or the departure. Right, and then of course the employer has to consider once the employee's gone and hasn't taken anything. There's no dispute. Let's say the employer's just, the employee's just moved on. 
does the employer really want to keep all this stuff? Because now, <laughs> the more you keep, the more you're at risk of being hacked. And then it's, there's a data breach and all the problems that ensue. So I, I wonder if you'd both agree with me that it's good business practice once you don't need personal information of somebody, you shouldn't keep it. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. To the extent that that is personal information of the employee, right. there's no reasonable business purpose. Um, for the employer to hold on to that, it, it can only create troubles. Well, let's wind up this way. I'm going to ask you each to give one top tip first to employers and then and then to employees. So, Seth, what would be your top tip to employers in this area of what they can and can't do and should or should not be doing with personal information of their employees? My top recommendation to employers uh, right now is to remain vigilant. It is so important to stay abreast of the developments in, in not only the state law level, but technologically, technologically speaking as well. The way that technology is changing every day, especially with the advent of AI, there are new things coming about that employers need to be aware of because it can affect how information is to be kept uh, or how it should not be kept. And, and specifically to employees, I would advise employees to be very familiar with what agreements they have signed with their employers and to know their obligations under the employer's policies, as well as if they've signed any restrictive covenants that may dictate how they possess or maintain information. We've seen that in our own executive branch that maintaining information, especially after you've departed from a, a prior job, can be a problem. So make sure to abide by what the policy says. And if you have questions, consult a lawyer. Employee, uh, read, read your handbook. Be aware of what uh, the company has told you is a reasonable expectation of privacy. That's what, that's what I'm hearing. Those are good tips. And on the first one to employers, it's not just you know, having, uh, being vigilant, but it's really keeping uh, aware of the enormous amount of personal information that's actually flowing through your IT pipeline. Some employers I know have been very surprised to see how much personal information is, is within their pipeline without their knowledge even. Annie, let me turn to you. What are your two top tips? First for employers and then for employees. Yeah, my top tip for employers is revise or create good policies surrounding employee privacy. Uh, make sure you have a good electronic use policy, waivers for employees to sign, and acknowledgments um, about mo any monitoring that you're doing in the workplace. For employees, my top tip is be smart. Don't do anything on, on a company electronic device that you would not want to be on the front page of the newspaper one day. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, just just be smart about what you're doing. Remember that it's not yours, that it is the company, that it is the company electronic and that they may see it. So if you can't look at your at your boss with a straight face and explain why you did what you did, don't do it. And if you want to do something a little dicey, do it off work time and don't use an employee, an employer uh, email address or equipment, I guess. That Absolutely. You got it. it. Well, Annie, Seth, thank you very much. This has been a whirlwind tour of a very complicated subject. Thank you for taking us through it. As always, I will remind our listeners, protecting your personal information starts with you.